0: Hey, what's going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Talking In Bits. But before we actually get to the show, I wanted to remind you guys that Talking In Bits is completely 100% audience funded. What that basically means is, is that you will never have to sit through no ads while you're listening to Talking In Bits. And the only way we can continue to do that and have been able to do that is with contributions and donations with great listeners such as yourself. So in order to keep that spirit alive, there's a few ways that you can actually donate to the show. My favorite way is Podcasting 2.0 apps. There's a bunch of them out there, but my two favorite are Fountain App and Breeze. And with these apps, it's basically like any other podcasting app. You can subscribe to Talking In Bits. um, You can load up some sats into the wallet and you can set how many sats per minute you think Talking In Bits is worth or how much value you're receiving from Talking In Bits. You can do this from both of those apps. Another really cool feature in in these apps, these Podcast 2.0 apps, is the boost feature. And what the boost feature is, is basically you get to pick a certain amount of sets that you want to send in and you can embed a message inside of that transaction into the show. And what I'm going to do is week to week, the best ones that come in, I'm going to read them and give shout outs here live on the show. So that's another way that you can help keep this ad free um, and keep this content rolling. Uh, If you're not using the podcast 2.0 apps, then you can head on over to talkinginbits.com backslash donate. And there you'll find various links to be able to send enlightening, to be able to send on-chain, and even to pay them. So go check out the the website. That's another way to contribute. And if you're listening to us on the legacy outlets like YouTube, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, then you could do the good old-fashioned leave a review, share, subscribe. All that stuff helps and helps us float up higher so more people can get this value and more people could get everything that we want to provide to our listeners. So once again, we appreciate you. The only reason we've been able to keep this up is because of y'all, and we want to keep that going for as long as we can. All right. Without further ado, on to this week's episode. Scarcity premium. Cannot exceed twenty one million. The hardest money that has ever been
1: I also made the case for winning Bitcoin the quintessence of scarcity premium. Scarcity premium. It's literally the only large tradable asset in the world that has a known fixed maximum supply. By its design, the total quantity of Bitcoins cannot exceed twenty one million. Bitcoin is the hardest money that has ever been invented. invented. If you don't have my private key, you cannot spend my Bitcoin, period. And this is the power of Bitcoin. This is the the first time we figured out how to create true property that you can take possession of with full custodial rights.
0: rights. Hey, what's going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Talking in Bits, where we walk you through Bitcoin bit by bit, so we can provide you the information you need to succeed and persist. Back with episode 78. And I'm really excited about my guest here. Um, Very early on in my orange pulling, Econo's guides helped me establish a lot of things that were otherwise confusing. We'll get into that here. But I want to welcome y'all, Econo Alchemist. What's going on, brother? Thank you for giving me your time.
1: Hey, Jose. Thanks for having me, dude. It's good to be
0: here. You're very welcome, man. Um, You were definitely on my list for a while there. um, and, And I just, you know, I was trying to find the right time to not only waste your time, but to have a great conversation and, and build up. Uh, when when I encountered you, it was, uh, I wouldn't say early on in my journey, but early on in my sovereign journey, right? Because I think yeah. there's like when you find Bitcoin and then when you decide to own up and, and start doing your own shit. Uh, so you were early in that sovereign uh, part of my journey and I appreciate everything you've done, man. But here you are. That's
1: awesome. Glad I could be there for you.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, we'll get into a little bit of that um, before we get into various topics, uh, mostly about being sovereign. You know, I want to talk about food. I want to talk about mining. Uh, I want to talk about you know censorship, technology. I want to talk about a few different things that are up your alley. But please let the listeners know just a little bit about you before we get deeper into that.
1: Yeah, sure. You know, I'm 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 not an expert. I'm just a regular dude like everybody else. Um, I just happen to you know, really enjoy writing very detailed step-by-step guides. And so I've kind of found a niche in the Bitcoin ecosystem, you know, taking these kinds of what can be perceived as complex topics and then just trying to break them down step-by-step so people can digest them and use them to, um, you know, increase their ability to interact with Bitcoin in a censorship resistant way in a self-custodial manner and to just make sure they never lose access to their Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, that's extremely important because when it comes to information, you, you nailed something right there, which is you need to simplify things. That's one. And then you never tried to take like the guru route, right? Whereas like, oh, you can get this shit as long as you, you know, pay X amount of SATs or whatever. Like you just right. kind of spilled that out there for everybody. And, and that's crucial, man.
1: Yeah. So like I, I decided very early on that I was, you know, I wasn't going to treat anyone who was relying on my content for good information. I wasn't going to treat them any other way than how I would want to be treated. Mm. And a few things that really piss me off when I'm trying to like get good information off a website is if like the guide is incomplete and it just gives you like this very surface level, like high level explainer, and it doesn't point you to any additional resources and it doesn't like fully explain the topic. So that's why I always try to like Really go the extra mile in my guides and like explain everything step by step all the way down so that anyone reading it can like start at zero and end at hero. And another thing that really pisses me off is that you know, I'm trying to read this like complex information on the internet, and then I got like these pop up ads coming at me, Mm -hmm. and all this like other information distracting me. So I decided early on, like. I'm never going to do like advertising space on my, on my own blog, econoalchemist.com. So I don't do like any advertising on there. Um, And then like, you know, I, I just, I, and and another thing that pisses me off is, is fucking paywalls, dude. Like, like just, if you're going to put the information out there, like just put it out there for people because like all you're doing is like making it more difficult for the person to go and find that information, but they are going to find it and they'll find a way not to pay for it, especially if they're broke like I am. And especially as like I was when I was first getting started, like, dude, I didn't, I didn't want to spend the money. And, and especially coming from like a privacy perspective, I don't want to like spend money that's linked to my name. Right. Yeah. And I don't want to spend money that like, I don't want my my bank to know that I'm like getting a subscription to this service or paying for this paywall because then they have an idea of what I'm reading, right? So it's just like, yeah, dude, it just gets messy quick and i and I just like it's aggravating for me when people have to pay for content online, so I try to just you know put good content out there for free and and make the content widely available and that and what's happened is that's drawn in a pretty decent audience, a decent sized audience that, you know, larger companies notice like Bitcoin magazine, upstream data, the brains blog, they noticed the kind of crowd that I was drawing with my content. And then those companies started supporting me so that I could put that content together. And then, and then their name is attached to it. And so when people come to get my content, they see bitcoin magazine they see upstream data they see the brains blog and so the the companies are getting you know good exposure to my audience through that route and the audience is getting the information for free so it's a win win for everybody and i'm you know being supported and making a little bit of money and you know it's helping put food on the table for my kids
0: Yeah. And that's that's a whole like that's a whole organic approach there. So organic audience, right. Organic companies that actually want to support you, meaning that they don't want to alter the information or they don't want to alter, you know, your view on things. And that's that that actual value for value model that's being built out here in front of us all in a lot of different industries here. So I'm big on that. And back on the, um, you know, the paywall thing, it's also a PTSD thing for a lot of people that have paid for stuff. And now they have this like deceit feeling where it's like, I'm not paying for this one because I'm not going to get, you know, rug pulled again. Uh, and right. it just shies them away from your information instead of giving it to them, too. So that's another uh, part of it there. Yeah, but uh, it's um, yeah, I call that fiat tactics. I mean, it, it's it's, you know, the the sales funnel where, like you said, where you give very vague information. And then you give them a little box that says, oh, you can get the rest of this article for this. And then when they go in there, they get the other pop up that says, now you could join our you know, master team or whatever. Uh, that's all yeah. fiat bullshit. It's nasty.
1: Yeah, dude. And I, I, I just don't like that model. And I just, you know, I would rather just put my content out on my blog for nothing than like deal with any of that trash or try to even like. Propagate a system like that like I dislike it so much. I don't even want to participate in it Because yeah. then I, I feel like I'm giving it. I'm giving it some fuel I'm adding fuel to that fire and that's why like I don't put any of my videos on YouTube because I Don't like the fact that I don't like YouTube censorship like they're they're very trigger-happy when it comes to censorship and taking people down and Trying to control narratives and trying con, trying to control the content that people are talking about and so I won't put my YouTubes on video or on, I won't put my videos on YouTube. Yeah. And that's why I, I spun up a, a instance of peer tube. So I've got mm-hmm. my own like video server that I put my videos on. And then I, I try and link my blog to that video server instead of YouTube. And then, um, I've also got a spot on Bitcoin TV for my podcast, the Has the hash cast. And so, um, you know, and that's, it works just like YouTube. It's like the same familiar interface, but, you know, nobody's going to take down the hashcast if they don't like something I say on there.
0: Yeah, that's key. i definitely going to have to explore some of those routes here. We're talking in bits as well. I'm still doing what I call the legacy outlets um, yep. just for, you know, exposure, just to be able to get more, you know, people on board. Um, and I do have Bitcoin TV going as well. I have for a better part actually getting a lot of traction there. So at the end of every episode, I actually do tell people you know to go to Bitcoin TV to get this four K content, whatever. So I, I feel you on that, man. Death to these legacy outlets. Uh, I'm also big on the um, the podcasting 2.0 Valley for value, um, yep. just because you know as we know, like Spotify's of the world, fourteen ninety nine for a fucking sub, and then right. none of the podcasters or anybody is getting that. Well, maybe Joe Rogan is, but nobody else is fucking getting any of that. Uh, right. and it's just a death to creators when creators, um, I've been into podcasting since 2018. So it's just death when a creator has to spend, you know, it's not cheap to actually get some pretty sound equipment to make things happen, but you have to now, instead of being creative and give that value out, you have to now worry about like, how am I going to get ad sponsors and how am I going to pay the, you know, to keep the lights on. And it just takes away from like what you can do when all of that is put to the side. And now you could just focus on giving nothing but signal or, or education or content. Uh, and right. I think, you know, Valley for Valley model podcasting 2.0, at least for me and many others, I'm sure has provided that outlet where now I could just focus on, you know, my guest dope shit, you know, and not have to worry so much about like, geez, I wonder if this fucking company will come and pick me up, you know?
1: Right. Yeah, dude, because once it becomes once like generating that content becomes a job you know, and you're, and you're trying to like figure out all those avenues to, to monetize it. It takes all the fun out of it. It completely changes the tone of it. And I just know like from my personal experience, like, like, dude, it, it just, it it's so much better when I feel like I'm just doing what I want to do because I love to do it. And if I'm doing it because I feel like I'm, I'm feeling like, oh, I got to get this done by this date so I can get paid so I can pay this bill. Like Dude, that just like seeps into the content and yeah. it it poisons it, you know? It just kind of ruins it in my opinion.
0: Yeah. And you can't build consistency with it. So yeah, I've had a taste of what you just said and with this podcast, which is why you know I think it's doing so well, is because I actually love doing it. I love, you know, being in the Bitcoin ecosystem and then learning, right? Having guests like you come on. And it's, it's sort of like a little selfish thing. But yeah, it's like My listeners get to be at the fly on the wall, but I'm also the one that's actually learning here. I'm also the one that's being, you know, and then I had a previous podcast that was not Bitcoin and it was what you just said. It was like a job, right? It was like when I first got started and I'm thinking like, oh, I need to make money. And that's why that shit doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's because it became really difficult, but I was able to at least leverage the skills I learned there and and everything I was doing there to, you know, bring this show and, and get it to where it's at now. So there was a little bit of a, of a pro there.
1: Yeah. Definitely. Always yeah. good to bring that experience with you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's led to other things, right? So now, like, you know, being able to, like, shoot other video events and, and being able to do, uh, we talked about it before we went on on live, but being able to do conferences now and being able to adapt those skills everywhere, uh, which I would have never learned if I never jumped in, whether it was to chase fiat at the beginning or not. Um, right. So it's one of those things. All right. Just, I, I, you know, because I know you are and your guides are built around helping people just to use an easy term, become more sovereign. I know it's deeper than that. I'm over I'm I'm curious when I see your post. Was it was your journey like Bitcoin first and then you saw the importance of sovereignty, or was it sovereignty first and then you just happened to bump into Bitcoin in that journey?
1: No, dude. When I first got started, so for any listeners who don't know how long I've been around, it's I, I didn't start getting in into this stuff until like December of twenty eighteen, you know. Right. So I I still feel like I'm relatively new to this space. And, um, you know, I learned something new every day. And when I first got started, you know, I, my wife and I had like just a little bit of money. Um, This came at like the tail end of me trying to become a day trader. Hmm. And so I was like watching these stupid fucking YouTube videos about these, these scammers that are just telling you, yeah, sign up with this broker and follow my trading strategy and do this. And so I'm like trying to, to do that shit. Cause you know, like my wife is, you know, she's a stay at home mom and there's only so many hours in the day and I'm busting my balls to try and put food on the table. And I'm like, dude, I got to find something else to make like some like passive income, you know? So I I thought stocks would be the answer. It, it just seemed like there are all these people on YouTube that were like, making all this money. And they they just had a little bit of money like I did and they grew it into this huge portfolio. And I, and then they're like sharing their secrets online. And I'm like, dude, I can I can do this. Like, holy shit, this is, I'm gonna go for it. And so I started with like just a little bit of money and I quickly shrank that down to like a microscopic amount of money. <laughs> and that's when I like decided like, all right, fuck this shit. Like these guys are fucking scammers. I hope it's okay that I'm cussing. By the way, A thousand percent. <laughs> okay, um, when I get going, my mouth just starts running. But um, Likewise. <laughs> okay, cool. So, so yeah, I'm like, dude, fuck these scammers. Uh, fuck the stock market. Like, so I'm so I'm pissed off about that. You know, I I'm already pissed because I'm broke. I'm pissed because I'm having trouble providing for my family, and now I'm extra pissed because I just got scammed and lost the little bit amount of, of amount of money that I did have. And so this goes into like the holiday season of 2018. And I'm talking to a friend, a family member, and they're like, "Like, dude, you should check out Bitcoin, um, you know, because I was asking them, I knew they were into cryptocurrency. And so I, I asked them like, How, how's Bitcoin doing? And they started talking about it and they're like, you should get into it, like check out this app, check out that. And so when I first learned about it, I, my mindset was that this is like a stock I can take the little bit of money that I have and I can buy some of it and then I can like trade it and like make that grow. And, you know, the the key thing for me at the time was that my friend was like, yeah, you know, if if $10 is a lot of money to you, you can do these like little microscopic trades on Binance and like, and you can, you know, trade for other cryptocurrencies and trade back and forth. And he's like, showing me all these like, all this trading advice, and and I'm just like, I'm like, okay, and, that, and that's how I kind of got started into it, you know? And then I started, you know, watching Andreas Antonopoulos videos. And when it, when I heard Andreas start talking about it, you know, he started talking about censorship resistance and how it was gonna like replace banking and how it was like an alternative to the Federal Reserve System. And I was like, dude, this is, there's, there's something else here. And then I, you know, bought his books and started digging more into it. And dude, for like two weeks, I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I I was just obsessed with trying to consume as much information about Bitcoin as I could possibly consume. And, and that's when I started falling down the rabbit hole and realizing this wasn't just a stock, you know, that there was something else going on here. And really the key for me is that it, it, it was like this answer to this question I've had for a long time. You know, I, my, I've my i seen my friends and my family struggle with financial problems, like all through my life. I, I read Behold a Pale Horse by William Cooper at age 17. And so from a very young, impressionable age, I had this like very... um you know, disgusted view of the financial of the financial system and especially of the Federal Reserve mm-hmm. and of income taxes in particular, federal income taxes. And I didn't know what to do about it. But then when I started realizing what Bitcoin was, and it it, it was kind of like that's that's the answer to these like long preceded problems that have been like plaguing me and my friends and my family for so long. Like, dude, there's really something here. And so, yeah, dude, once I, once I, and then I, you know, once I really realized what it was, I, that's when I really started getting into it, but it took a long time for me to develop an understanding of the privacy implications. And it took a long time for that to click. and, And I didn't understand what the problem was with KYC you know, that was like this whole other subset of issues that I didn't even realize were right there under the surface, you know? And and once I started realizing and the, the impetus for that was when Coinbase announced that they were working with that, um, I think it was a, they bought a company called, I think it was called Neutrino. And Neutrino was like formally involved with uh, providing software solutions for like authoritative governments around the world and they weren't involved with like some sketchy shit. And so that was like a wake up call for me. I was like, dude, what the fuck is Coinbase building? And what are they doing with all this information? And I like, I couldn't, once I saw that I couldn't look away from it, you know? And so I really started like, like what, what is this KYC AML stuff? And I'm just like, Holy shit, what have I been doing with my, like taking my selfie with my ID and giving them all this information and then it, once i saw that like dude this is exactly how you give them the control to to gut all the power mm. that bitcoin has to offer like that that's how you ruin it for yourself and I, and so once i saw that i'm like dude th- i got to figure out a different way to to go about this and that that's when i really started my privacy and like self custody and censorship resistant journey, you know, and that's when I started digging into all this stuff and for, and it's just been progressing since then.
0: For some of those that are oblivious to like what the, um, the worst case scenarios are of KYC and AML, like where, where yeah. do you see that going? What is the worst case scenario? Cause a lot of people are probably like, eh, fuck it. But you don't right. think
1: so. Yeah, no dude, there, there's a lot to consider there. So like there's, there's a few different prongs to KYC AML. So just, just for like some quick background KYC regulations stands for know your customer. Uh, it stems from the bank secrecy act and it's these regulations um, under the authority of the um, financial crimes enforcement network or FinCEN, which is like a branch of the U um, S treasury. Yep. And so they enforce these regulations on exchanges uh, brokers and um, other uh, uh, money uh, money transmitters. And collectively, those three are called money services businesses. So money services businesses have to comply with these FinCEN regulations that involve KYC. And so basically what that means for the end user is like when you want to interact with any of those types of money services businesses for their basic financial services, you have to supply Identifying information that irrevocably connects your identity to your financial transactions. And when that spills over into like the Bitcoin ecosystem, now now we're talking about like Bitcoin exchanges, um, like Bitcoin uh, brokers, like where you like uh, Kraken, uh, and then like Cash App, Swan, like they all use, they all have to comply with these regulations because they're all considered money services businesses, right? So in order to operate, they're going to have to comply with those regulations. And when you start complying with those regulations, there's several risks that get introduced and, and there's, there's a couple different prongs here. So like one of the prongs is that it turns all of these money services businesses into honeypots, and so what they're what they're doing now is they're they're collecting this information from you, and they're irrevocably connecting it to your on-chain Bitcoin transactions, right? so they they have that link. And what happens is then they become a target of sophisticated hacks and data breaches. And so what is happening is your information is being put into this honeypot that honeypot is getting broken open and that information is getting extracted and as the demand for bitcoin increases the value of the information about individuals that have bitcoin is going to increase as well and so hackers are going to go to greater and greater lengths to get into these honeypots and get this data and so we're starting to see like these really crazy um very sophisticated like social engineering attacks where they like they're going after like these peripheral businesses around the money services businesses now where they're like getting like the, all the marketing data. I think there was, um, God, I can't remember the the name of the company, but there was like 30 cryptocurrency related businesses involved in this data breach. And it was like name, email, IP address. Um, and then maybe a couple other details in some other cases, but, there's also been cases where exchanges have been hacked, like the actual exchange themselves, like the core business. and then that and then they're getting all of the identifying information about you. So then they're they're getting access to that picture of you holding up your ID. They're getting your address, your name, your phone number, your date of birth, your social security number. They know what you look like. and they see all your Bitcoin transactions. They know, where those are on chain, they know what your balance is. And so you're exposing yourself to these companies that are supposed to be responsible with your data who have proved time and time and time again that they're not. And you don't know what they're doing with your data and what third parties they are sharing your data with. And these peripheral third parties are also being attacked. And there's data breaches happening there that's spilling information. And so now what's happening is these attackers are able to like like, link, like, oh, you were, like, uh, we we see this person's name in the SWAN data breach, and we see their name in, like, XYZ Exchange data breach, and, like, and now they're starting to be able to, like, cross-link information from multiple different data breaches, and and then once they can start, like, constructing that web, you know, it's only a matter of time before you're, you can't get out of it, and you wind up. We've seen people having their doors kicked in and held at gunpoint to turn over the keys to their coins and have their Bitcoin stolen because of leaked information making its way out on like the, the dark web where violent criminals will buy it. And they'll take that information and then use it to, to establish targets and then go after them. So that's that's one prong of KYC that's dangerous, okay? Now there's, there's another one. And, and so it, with, with KYC information, if hackers get a hold of it, your life could potentially be at risk if, it may, if that information makes its way to a violent criminal and they go kick in your door, okay? Now in, Now the other party that has access to this information is, or potentially has access to this information, is your own government. And if your own government has access to this information, then that puts your freedoms at risk, right? So now what the government can do is they can do things like submit a John Doe subpoena or a summons or a warrant to these money services businesses and just say, we want all the information of anyone with a balance of a quarter of a Bitcoin or more. And, and the, money services businesses would either like just immediately comply with that without any hesitation um, or they're actively already working with law enforcement. Like Coinbase is like in contractual agreements with several three letter agencies around the globe, selling chain analysis services to these people and they're collecting all the information about these people. Um, And then uh, what was I going to say? The, um. So yeah, the the government will come in and just like put this blanket subpoena down and be like, give it, give us the information about all of these users. So they're they're either going to comply with that instantly, or they're already working with them, or if they have like a very um, like strong legal team, then they might question it and they might like, you know, be resistant to sharing that information. But you never know; it's a crapshoot, right? Right. Um. So, so what's the problem with the government having that information? Well. You know, we've seen cases where, like in Argentina, they established this one-off wealth tax, where they said anyone with more than X amount of dollars in their name uh, has to pay 15% of that, and and we're just gonna th- we're gonna take that. And so, if you have, especially if you haven't taken control of your own coins and you still have them on the exchange, then you're you're like the lowest hanging fruit because they have all your information. And they have the keys to your coins, right? Right. So in the case of like a wealth tax, the government would just come in and be like, yep, we're taking 15% of everything. And like, what is the exchange going to do? You know, they're not going to be able to fight that. Um, Now, if you have self-custody of your coins, which we can get into that topic, then, you know, that creates like another layer, another barrier between you and the state's monopoly on violence. But other than like a wealth tax, what they might want to do is like, Unrealized capital gains taxes, where they're like, okay, well, we see that you've had this Bitcoin for so long and it's increased so much in value. So now 15% of that is ours, 25% of that is ours. And if especially if they're if the keys are in your exchange's hands, there's nothing you're going to be able to do to stop that. Sure. Um, and then like another threat from your government is like a 6102 style confiscation where you know for any listeners that don't know 6102 was an executive order where the united states said you know if you don't turn in your gold you will face 10 years in prison and a $250,000 fine and no one was allowed to have more than like one ounce of gold on their possession and so there could be like an attack vector there from a government that wants to come in and confiscate all the bitcoin and if you don't have those keys, and they're in someone else's hands, then it's not your choice. You know, the the exchanges are always going to do, the money services businesses are always going to do what is in the best interest of the government. They're not going to put your best interest first. N- none of these companies are ever going to put their customers first and stand up and try to fight based on the principles that the customers might believe in. If you believe in those principles, then you need to step up and take that radical responsibility and take self-custody of your Bitcoin and withdraw from those exchanges. And you need to be responsible for that. But don't ever rely on a third party doing what's best for you because they will not. They have proven that time and time again, they will always do what's in the best interest of the government and what they're asking and demanding for. Yes. Yeah, so- and so those are like those are like the two major prongs like KYC and why it's a problem and like you can avoid both of them completely by just not like just stop giving people your information yeah. you know that it's so easy to to get bitcoin without sharing information with people
0: yeah yeah so like complying with the KYC and and uh, ignoring it like it's not you know ultimately puts you on somebody's list whether it's a bad actor whether it's a government doesn't matter. Puts you on somebody's list you don't want to be a part of. Uh, exposes you to, to you know, safety you, for you and your family, uh, the safety risk. Um, but also it strips all of the sovereign properties of Bitcoin. I mean, at that point, you pretty much you might as well just have a bank account with fiat dollars in it. Because if you don't have your keys, they're going to be able to same, do the same thing that the banks can do, which is just turn you off as soon as they can. So, yeah, it's, Brian, not, I- it's nothing but downhill if you comply with KYC.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the and the other thing too is like, okay, so you say you take self-custody of your Bitcoin, like con- congratulations, that is awesome. And I yep. like highly recommend people do that if and when they're comfortable doing that. However, you got to understand like once you've engaged in a KYC transaction with one of these money services businesses, there's nothing you can do to erase that, what I call the KYC event, where like this centralized third party knows you bought x amount of bitcoin on this date and that is irrevocably connected to your identity so even though you've withdrawn that bitcoin and you have it they know you bought it okay so now at least you've 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 removed yourself one step from being the lowest hanging fruit okay and by taking self custody so that's right. good but there's still record of you doing that right So then you got to ask yourself, like, what's going to happen if there really is a 6102 style confiscation event? Like, obviously they're going to go for the lowest hanging fruit first, but then what's the next step after that? You know, this we're talking about a bloodthirsty state that has the monopoly on violence and that you cannot quench that thirst. They will stop at nothing. And once they start with something like that, they're going to go after the next layer of lowest hanging fruit. So if you've just withdrawn your coins... From the exchange and you got them sitting in your cold card or whatever like you know that's great at least like you're in control of it however because they know you did that what are you going to do when the government comes to you and says hey we saw that you bought a bitcoin and then you withdrew it and it's just been sitting in this address ever since and um you know we're wondering if you would rather spend 10 years in prison and pay a 250 dollars fine or if you would want to give us that Bitcoin because we're now confiscating it. So then then what are you going to do? Like, And then this is where people will say, oh, I'll just tell them I had a boating accident and I lost it. And that, <laughs> is, that is like one of the most dangerous memes in Bitcoin. It is fucking stupid. It is. It, it is the stupidest thing you could say. So what's going to happen is they're going to say, oh, okay, well, um, like at a bare minimum, we're just going to, penalize you this amount um and if we ever see any activity related to that address you, you um, a warrant will be issued for your arrest immediately and we will come tear your playhouse down like you know so if, if you go with the boating accident excuse just know you have basically burnt that bitcoin because the second anything happens with that bitcoin If you try to spend it, if you deposit more Bitcoin to that address, like if you do anything with it, they are going to come after you, and they and they'll get you. Okay. Yeah. So So. then, so sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead.
0: No, no. I was going to say, so, so, so. What, what does one do now? I mean, I know the answer to this, but I want you. You've been laying out so perfect, but so what does one do to acquire Bitcoin now in a situation where now whoever was listening, who was uh comfortable on their strike app or comfortable on their cash app is now like, well, what the fuck? Well, what the hell am I going to fucking do? Right.
1: So yeah. So there's, okay. So this is what's awesome. People are like, man, this, this is like, this is so difficult to get Bitcoin unless I'm using these like shiny money services businesses. But like, you got to understand, dude, like you don't you don't need to use those services. There's so many different ways to get Bitcoin. And like my favorite way to get Bitcoin is by just mining it at home. So you yeah. you you buy an ASIC, you plug it into your home, and you pay your electricity bill with your fiat money, and you are essentially dollar cost averaging into that Bitcoin you are earning for your mining rewards. All right? So there, there's like a whole rabbit hole there that goes into like, Electrical infrastructure, ventilation infrastructure, like dealing with setting up a pool, like home network privacy, um, like like all of that stuff. So that might be more than people are willing to um, engage with after the convenience of just hitting the, smashing the buy button on Cash App, right? So some easier methods are a decentralized exchange like BISC, yep. where... There's people who are trying to buy and sell Bitcoin. And there's like a set list of accepted payment methods um, for like for fiat payment methods. So like, let's say you're like a Revolut user or an Uphold user, or there's even an option for like Amazon gift cards or Zelle. And what you do is you find... Uh, you know, it's a place where you you launch this application on your computer and it's a marketplace of buyers and sellers and you sort by, I want to trade some of my Bitcoin for an Amazon gift card or I want to trade, I want to buy an Amazon gift card and trade it for Bitcoin. You can go on Bisc and find people that are willing to do that. And then you engage in a trade with them and you put up a little bit of collateral and the seller puts up a little bit of collateral and then once both parties confirm that the trade has been completed, then that collateral gets released out of escrow back to both parties. And then they have their Amazon gift card and you have your Bitcoin. Right. And so what the trick to all this is that it's, you're, you're, especially when you're using the fiat rail methods like Zelle or Uphold or Revolut, you're making an out-of-band fiat payment, right? So let's say you're a Revolut user and you find another, Revolut seller and they're selling Bitcoin. Well, you get their Revolut information and you open your Revolut app and you put their info in there and you send them a payment on Revolut, right? So you are sharing a little bit of information with somebody, but at least this isn't a centralized corporation that is the target of multi-million dollar hacking teams from all around the globe. And at least it's not, they're not the target of governments at least not yet, and at least, you know, they're not like actively working with three-letter agencies. But yeah, you are sharing a little bit of information to make that out-of-band payment with them, and so um, it's it's just another individual. So usually that looks like you getting their like name or their email address um, or their phone number, so that you can make that out-of-band. So you have the information you need to make that out-of-band payment. And as far as like the financial institution is concerned, whatever that is, Revolut in this case, they don't, Revolut has no idea that there's Bitcoin being transacted at the same time on the other end, right? So there's, all Revolut knows is that Jose sends $15 to Econo Alchemist. Revolut doesn't know that Econo Alchemist sent $15 worth of Bitcoin to Jose, on the back end of that, you know, because there's nothing linking the BISC transaction and then the information that Revolut has. So all Revolut sees is two Revolut users doing what the app is meant to do. Yeah. Um so that so that's why I really like BISC. It's a, it's it, it works well for me. Um there's yeah, other options I've heard, option of, I've heard of a it.
0: similar setup with Azteco, same thing. It's like hey you Yep, know, that was a, Send this person, you know, through Cash App some dollars. And as far as the financial services know, you're just paying for dinner, right? It's just one of those things. And then they're going to send you that Azteco code uh, and it's completely there. Um, I know you have experience with this because I've seen you post about it. Uh, I have yet to use RoboSats, but I've looked into it. And I think that's also a very interesting and fascinating way to do it as well. Mining, of course, mining is huge. Um, I, I don't think mining is as bad. I mean, I'm not a high tier miner, but... I don't think it's as bad as people think it is once they get in the rabbit hole. Like in my experience, right. once I got that first S9, uh, it's sort of like when I first got my code card. It's just a rabbit hole that you enjoy going down, and it's, a, it's an important lesson to learn. But
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And those are, those are great resources too Azteco and uh, RoboSats are also amazing sources. And um, another good one is just like uh, you can get like Coin ATM Radar app on your phone or you can follow them on Twitter and then you can you can use that to find bitcoin ATMs near you and then excuse me and then you can go out to these ATMs and usually the ATMs have depending on the jurisdiction and the amount and all that you can you can find varying levels of KYC requirements usually at a bare minimum you're going to have to sh- do like a text verification like an SMS verification uh, with your phone number, but there's easy ways around that, like textverified.com. You can go on that website, you can buy credits with Bitcoin, and then you can use textverified.com and walk up to an ATM and put in the phone number from textverified. And the ATM will send that code to your textverified account. And then you you get that code through the web browser and the text verified phone number, and it says nothing about your phone number. And then you put that in the ATM and then, you know, you're verified and good to go and you get your Bitcoin. Um, so that. yeah, ATMs, RoboSats, Azteco vouchers, BISC, uh, HODL, HODL is one if you're in Europe and uh, and mining Bitcoin at home. There, And another great one is just figuring out something you can do like selling goods or your services in exchange for Bitcoin. Right and like creating that working economy of Bitcoiners.
0: Yeah, that's a fantastic point that gets overlooked a lot. A lot of people are like, "How do I do this? How do I do this? Is it just work."
1: <laughs> and people yeah, will, just yeah,
0: people will pay you in Bitcoin.
1: <laughs> start asking to get paid in Bitcoin.
0: Yeah. All right. So, where's this? The, um, the KYC is by far none the biggest reason. But I actually had this conversation earlier, and I didn't know how to eloquently explain. Um, that value is much more important. You know, the value of doing it non-KYC is much more important than the monetary value. So what I mean is somebody told me, which I know you've gotten this question a gazillion times. Um, oh, I'm sure you've gotten it a gazillion times. Why do I need to buy a miner or go into mining? Why don't I just buy the sets? And then like, say, well, right. you just explained for about the last 20 minutes, KYC. Is there another reason that somebody would buy the miner instead of just going out and buying the sets?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, KYC is a big reason. And, you know, you got to think about what kind of trade-offs you're making by using KYC services. And, you know, I've I've said this a lot of times, like, it's none of my business what anybody wants to do with their money, right? And, like, who am I to tell somebody what they should and shouldn't do with their money? Like, I'm in no position to be making that call for people. So, people got to make their own judgment calls. I just know for me, like... KYC services, custodial services, absolute non-starter. I will not even entertain the idea for me personally. Someone else wants to do it. Hey, you know, it's the world is your oyster. You do you, right? Yeah. So, but I like to tell people like, you should really understand the trade-offs that you're making when you're doing this stuff. So, all right. So if you're going to use a KYC service, then, you know, you risk you're opening yourself up to the hackers, you're opening yourself up to whatever your government wants to do. And then you're kind of stuck in this like permission bubble, right? Because now you've got this Bitcoin where you never know if they're going to come asking you about it, right? And and the you got to understand like the future is uncertain, but the blockchain is forever. Mm-hmm. So you don't know what is going to happen down the road and what kind of questions might get brought up about a certain Bitcoin donation you made to a particular trucker convoy in Canada that suddenly gets linked to your personally identifiable information irrevocably from transactions that happened three years ago, five years ago. You know, that stuff can come back to bite you in the ass. So you you, you kind of get stuck in this like quasi permission system where it's like, yeah, you have the Bitcoin in your possession, technically you can do whatever you want with it, but now you've got to think about the possibility of if you do whatever you want with it and someone wants to question you about that later, how are you going to reply to that question, right? And you could find find yourself in in some hot water depending on what you do with that Bitcoin. So so yeah, that brings us back to like why would you buy a miner instead of buying the bitcoin directly well because of that because of those reasons because you're mitigating kyc risks you're mitigating permissioned risks um but the other reason too is you know depending on the situation and granted it's not a favorable situation right now for most people but at times and like when i got started mining it was actually a very favorable situation to be mining because for the amount of money I was spending on electricity, say it was like 10 bucks a day, if I had spent that $10 at an exchange instead, I would have been getting like 40% of the Bitcoin that I was earning with that $10 by running an ASIC. And so at that time, like the hash rate was low enough, the price of Bitcoin was high enough, my electricity rates were affordable enough that like all those stars aligned and it really made a lot of sense because I was mining Bitcoin at like a 60% discount. I think during the Chinese mining ban, it was actually closer to like a 75% or 80% discount. Meaning for like every dollar I spent, you know, I was I was getting... I would have only been getting 20% of that if I had been buying Bitcoin at spot price. And so for, for every dollar I spent, I was getting way more Bitcoin. My money was going way further and earning me way more sats, paying the electricity than it was being used at an exchange. So that that's one reason if like all those stars align, right? And you got to ask yourself then, You know, you got to understand all these variables are constantly changing and mining becomes this very like overwhelming game of, you know, it's, it's a bunch of moving targets, right? So you got the price fertility of Bitcoin. You've got your electricity prices. Um, and then you've got like the difficulty and, and how much Bitcoin you can earn for your contributed hash rate. And, you know, I might like overcomplicate it a little more than some people, a lot of people, a lot of miners will just tell you, dude, just plug your miner in, forget about it. And just keep running it. Don't unplug it. Yeah. You know, and and that's, that's great. You know, if you've got a Fiat job and you can afford to spend an extra 300 bucks a month on electricity to run a new gen ASIC at like the U S average 13 cents per kilowatt hour electricity rates, then like, yeah, dude, just, just keep running it. Keep spending it. If you can afford it and that makes sense, like do it. But you know, then you, you transition to like some other situations, like, I'm living on a Bitcoin standard. I haven't had a fiat job in nine months now. And and if I'm only earning Bitcoin as income, then I have to sell that Bitcoin in order to pay all of my bills. And that includes my electricity bill. And so if my electricity bill isn't earning me as much Bitcoin as I have to sell to pay that bill, then it doesn't make a lot of sense for me to be mining anymore. And that just goes into like this constantly changing dynamic between these three variables of your electricity price, the price of Bitcoin and you know how many sats you can get for your hash rate based on what the difficulty is at. So, you know, that's why, I, you know, I think I kind of overcomplicated for myself by trying to monitor all three of these moving targets at the same time. But um, you know, I just, I take it seriously and I want to make the best out of it. So All that to say, you know, there are good reasons to mine um, because you're avoiding all those risks we talked about and you could be buying Bitcoin at a discount so long as those variables line up. But you got to understand and and try to figure out if those variables are aligned for you and if that makes sense. And then think about the trade-offs there. Maybe you are losing just a little bit of money. Maybe you're spending... $300 a month on electricity, and you're only earning $250 a month worth of Bitcoin. Maybe that's worth it for you because you don't have to ask anyone for permission. Nobody has your identifying information. And you you don't have to answer to anybody, and that Bitcoin's going straight into your custody from your mining rewards. So. That might be worth the $50 loss a month to you. You know, it just depends on your situation. But those are just, you know, some variables you got to think about. And if you want to look at a good mining calculator, check out insights.brains.com. And that's brains with two eyes. And you know, they got a bunch of tools on there that can help you kind of forecast and figure out, get a lay of the land of, of what mining looks like right now. And then once you figure that out, you got to ask yourself, okay, if this is like my baseline. Where do I anticipate these moving targets being in the next two months, the next six months, the next year, the next two years? What happens when the having occurs? And so you got to, depending on what you think is going to happen between now and then, then maybe start like making moves to make that happen. You know, so I'm bullish. And I say that like, miners have to be the most bullish people on bitcoin because if you decide to spend the money on an ASIC instead of just buying bitcoin directly you're pretty committed because that ASIC it cannot do anything except for mine bitcoin so right. you're stuck with it you know you granted yeah you can use the the heat byproduct of it to do some creative things like offset energy costs in your home if you plumb it into your HVAC system or You can use it to heat your hot tub or your swimming pool or yeah, you can, you can use the ASIC for other things. Um, but primarily all that ASIC is going to do is mine Bitcoin for you. Okay. It's not like, it's not like some, some other assets that you could buy. And then the other thing too, is like, once you do that, you're stuck with it. Right. So now you've got this physical thing. It's not like a liquid asset you have on cash app where you can just sell it instantly if you get nervous about the market conditions right so if you if you make the investment in this mining infrastructure now you're kind of stuck with it and if you do decide to sell it that's going to take a lot more effort than just selling bitcoin right yeah so that's that's something else to think about is like what do you anticipate happening and how bullish are you on that future and what are what are things going to look like for you there if if you start building that infrastructure now And so that's why I've been like, like I bought a shipping container and put it in my backyard and I've been converting it to a Bitcoin mine. I had the utility company put in a new pole and a transformer and I got some electricians to install a 400 amp service and I'm building in the bear market, trying to get this together because of where I anticipate things are going to be in the future. So, you know, you kind of have to have that very bullish mentality and you have to have low time preference to be able to pull all this off because it, you know, it, things I've been doing this for like eight months now and things certainly have not been moving as quickly as I would like them to. And it, you know, when you try to scale up when uh, you're mining infrastructure, things can get complicated and bogged down very quickly. And that goes into your commitment and your conviction and what you're doing and your ability to be able to follow through with that plan and stick to it.
0: Yeah, so much value there, Konum, for sure. Uh, absolutely. I was one of the, uh, and the example you gave where mining at a loss, that's how I was in Massachusetts. Like up there was a complete, you know, 0. 0.16, I believe, or cents per kilowatts what they were doing. And mind you, I started with S9s, so I was really at a loss here. Um, but, you know, I just kept going because I saw where this was going. I saw the, the non-KYC benefit there. And, you know, eventually I started to to build up into an S19 and more and more hashing. Um, so I'm with you. Sometimes you just got to go have a low time preference and see the bigger value. That isn't just necessary monetary. I mean, you're right. If you're broke, then don't do it. <laughs> right. Uh, but if you can bear just a little bit of pain uh, just to use that easier, you you might want to because the other side of that, you know, going through that pain could be, you know, not only educational uh, and fun, but profitable at the end of that. Um. Also, just trying to navigate the the piranhas out there and the charlatans when it comes to um, you know, like the compasses of the world. And hey, we'll do it for you. Send it over here. That's another. Uh, that's actually how I got burned the first time. Mm. So I, you know, I did. The, I went the compass route because you okay. know I didn't think my wife would want it. Blah blah blah. All these other excuses. Uh, I'm not an electrician. I don't know this shit. Uh, and then I got fucked with them. I was one of the North Carolina people where I was like, hey. I paid you. This was top of the market. So I paid them nine grand for a fucking minor. And then they were like, oh, well, you won't be plugged in until six months later because some bullshit. So my six, uh, my nine grand, sorry, was just sitting there for six months uh, and, and I wasn't able to do anything. Now, unfortunately, that minor that I'm talking about is almost at the end of their contract. So I'll be pulling that bitch back. But the, the problem is, is that even when I get that bitch back, they probably could have beat that shit to the ground. I mean, I don't even know the condition I'm going to get this miner in. I don't even know if it's the actual miner I bought versus another one that they're just going to kick back at me. Uh, There's a whole fucking, uh, people that listen to the show know my rant on Compass uh, and, and others like them. Uh, but that's another problem that I, I don't think a lot of people are getting into mining or people getting into mining could fall into. That's a trap that's out there yep. and it's very convenient because I lived in Massachusetts 0.16 ke- uh, cents per kilowatt. And then you get these nice, fancy offers from Compass saying, hey, you point seven or, you know. Um, right. So I, I want to make listeners aware of they don't know already. Um, try to figure this shit out on your own, even if you have to go through some pain.
1: Yeah, it's it's about personal responsibility. You know, it, it, a lot of things in Bitcoin just circle back to personal responsibility and, you know, taking that radical responsibility with your Bitcoin and not trusting third parties not using the convenient route just because it's easy, but like doing the more difficult thing because it's right. And because your, your future self is going to thank you because you're not going to wind up in a situation where your ASICs are in Russia and then a war breaks out and suddenly your ASICs are now sanctioned and you can't get them back, you know, or any of the number of other horror stories that have come out of the compass saga, like, Yeah, man, there's just there's so many good reasons not to um, trust these third parties and not to engage in that relationship. I understand why people do it. Like you said, you don't want to deal with the heat. You don't want to deal with the noise. You got family, you got wife, you might have roommates like dude. Yeah, you're taking an industrial grade piece of equipment and bringing it into your living space. And that is no joking matter. And if you have other people that live with you, like you have to make considerations about how they're going to deal with that. And so it's not easy. It is difficult. That is not convenient. You're going to have to do some pushups and like figure some things out and get through those obstacles. But it's worth it because like, it doesn't matter who gets sanctioned. I have my ASICs, right? Right. Like no one's going to, no one's going to stop me from accessing my ASICs because they're in my possession. And so there's just, you got to think about what those trade offs are, what those potential pitfalls are. And, and, like, dude, ask yourself, like, what you're comfortable with, what your risk tolerance is. For me personally, you know, like I said, like any KYC, AML, custodial, trusted third party, like, dude, it's a non starter for me.
0: Yeah, that's a, a hard cut off. And it's a, that makes your decision making easier, right? It's like sort of like intermittent fasting, right? <laughs> Where it's like, hey, at yeah. this time, I know for damn sure I'm not going to eat. And this time I know so yeah, having a hard cutoff is, is, is important for decisions.
1: Um, I guess you know what? Okay, yeah, go ahead. So I don't mean to cut you off, but no. I mean it just it's important for people to ask themselves like, what are you really into Bitcoin for? You know? Yeah. Like if if you're into it to just use Bitcoin as a conduit to accumulate more fiat money, dude, that's fine. Like Bitcoin can be whatever you want it to be. And if that's what you want it to be like more power to you, nothing wrong with it, but there's some trade-offs there, right? Like you're going to be using trusted third parties. You're going to be using permission systems. You're going to be exposing yourself to KYC risks and you're not going to get any of the power benefit, any of the empowerment the individual gets out of having control over their own Bitcoin. And maybe you're not here for that. Maybe that's not your thing. Totally fine. But, if you value the censorship resistant properties of Bitcoin and if you value the permissionless nature of being able to make any transaction you want to anyone else in the world that you want to instantly, globally, without a trusted intermediary, without having to go through any permission from anyone else. If you value that sort of thing, then you know, ask yourself, why are you using these other services that take away from that power? Hmm. And if, if, if you're here for the permissionless part of it, then, you know, you, you really got to think about why you're using these, these permission systems. Right. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people, if they reflect on their lives, they're going to find times when like, or if not them personally, if some, somebody they knew very well, family, a friend wasn't able to get access to basic financial services because the bank didn't like that they were a sex worker or the bank didn't like that they were in the marijuana industry or the bank just imposed some sort of moral standard on the individual that they didn't meet up with. And so the bank rejected them from whatever they were trying to do. And now they don't have access to basic financial services. They are cut off from interacting with the world around them in an economical way. Or maybe you've had your, or maybe you know someone who's had their paycheck garnished, where the state comes in and automatically takes money out of your paycheck, which you're already living paycheck to paycheck anyways. You're already spending 125% of your income by leaning on your credit card. And then the state comes in and garnishes your wages and takes another 15% off the top of that then you're really hosed. Now, how are you going to pay your bills? And so if the if the state has the control over your money or if you've been in a situation where you have felt the force of the state having control over your money, then maybe you start valuing self-custody and you start valuing censorship resistance a little bit more. And you start valuing these properties that Bitcoin offers when you don't use those centralized services.
0: Absolutely, so, yeah. No, well put. No, I, go ahead.
1: I just think people should you know, really think about what they came here for and what they're trying to do. And if you're you're trying to use the things that Bitcoin enables, then, then you know, think long and hard about how you're getting your hands on your Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, I think that's the difficulty there, Econo, is um, people thinking long and hard, right? Everything is so, yeah. you know, handed to them and everything is so quick that their decisions are also quick for the most part. And I, I don't want to like put people out there. You know, some of my decisions are quick. It's just one of those things that we go through as human beings. Uh, but yeah, being able to slow it down and being able to ask yourself, you know, what are you really trying to do? What are you really trying to get out of this? And not only this, but everything else that you do, uh, would go a long way if people would just do it more often. So I'm with you on that one. Um, speaking of people making fast decisions, um, let's let's try to talk about what Slim is doing and, and the food. Oh yeah, and, and that whole situation. Um, yeah. So as we know, um, in that same vein of analogy people run to convenience and food. People love to go to the uh, supermarket and and gather the crap and the poison. People like to overlook ingredient labels, right? People love to, you know, go pull up to their local McDonald's so they could feed their whole family for a absorbent amount of dollars nowadays. Right. Um, so, so talk a little bit about slim. I know you were out there in Colorado for the beef initiative. Um, not necessarily about slim, but just about his mission and what's going on with the food and your opinion.
1: Yeah, absolutely, dude. Um, so the, the beef initiative and what Texas slim is building, you know, it's been an incredible experience being a part of, of what they're doing. And the whole reason we got into it is cause like my wife and I were, we're pretty conscious eaters, right? Like we don't like to eat fast food. Um, we try to buy all organic food and produce. And, you know, I had heard about the beef initiative. I had done a couple of podcasts with Slims. I knew about the beef box, but it just wasn't really clicking for me until I was looking at our grocery bill, and I was looking at the price of meat. We were paying like a dollar fifty-one an ounce for grass-fed beef from Whole Food or from uh, from a natural grocer's, which is like an organic grocery store. Mm-hmm. And and it just it it clicked, and I'm like, dude, I gotta look into this beef box thing. So I go online and look at the beef box, and I I did the math, and even with the shipping, so they'll next day air some frozen beef to you, right? So I did the math. And even with the shipping costs, we were going to be paying less than half of what we were spending at the grocery store on a better quality beef, right? Grass fed, grass finished from a regenerative rancher who like has good ranching practices, happy, healthy cows, not some cow that was just like grain-fed at the end of its life and developed a bunch of omega-6 fatty acids and then right at the very end like got super scared and had a rush of adrenaline that got into the taste of the meat. So the, the quality of the beef that you get from the ranchers that are involved with the beef initiative, C Cattle specifically, that's who I've been getting my beef from. And it's, it's no lie, it's some of the best beef that I've ever had, yeah. especially obtaining it myself you know i've i've gone to some restaurants that and paid a fortune for a steak that was just like absolutely the best thing ever but this for like compared to what you get at the store like no this is way better than what you can get at a grocery store and so for me like it it really kind of started with like this economic incentive right i was trying to save money on how much we were spending on food and it just so happened that i could get a better quality food for half the cost and i could use bitcoin to do it and support like a local or a, a, a revolving a circular Bitcoin economy with a rancher who was taking Bitcoin. And so that was just like a no brainer for me when I jumped into it and and really got started with it. And then when we went to the beep initiative conference, you know, that's when I really saw firsthand how it, it's a whole lifestyle that goes into this. Right. And so you know we I was there talking about Bitcoin. My wife was on a panel talking about giving home birth because we did home births with our kids. And she was talking about home birth. And another lady on the panel was talking about homeschooling and like alternative education for your children. And so you know alternative um, alternative um, Birthing practices that don't involve the hospital and some of the risks that are involved there. Alternative learning practices that don't involve state-sponsored education through the public schools. Um, And then, you know, there was a dude there talking about his struggle with addiction and how ranching and, and how he got clean and how he is no longer an addict and he's got a wife, he's got kids, he's got this ranch and he's just talking about how like his connection with God and his connection with the land and talking about how, you know, how ranching has changed his life. And, you know, I'm personally not religious. I'm not, I'm not a religious person, but just hearing someone else's experience and just the way he was putting things. um, It was just like, Having that connection with the land was just eye-opening, you know. Compared to someone like me who isn't a farmer, I'm not a rancher. I don't necessarily have that like deep-rooted connection with the land. So it, it was just very eye-opening to get a taste of of what their life is like out there on the ranches. And then the the place the the place that this was all hosted at was Jason Rich's ranch, and so just you know he he was very hospitable and he has this beautiful spread and it overlooks this valley and it's just surrounded by mountains and you know it's just very tranquil very calming place to be and you know just hearing him just hearing jason talk about his ranching practices and the way he handles raising his cattle and the way he is a steward to the land just really reinforced like what what's really important in life and like what we're really here to be doing you know are we are we here to be like rushing off to a nine to five job that makes us miserable so we can just make enough money to cover the transportation it gets to go back and forth and put a roof over our head while we're not at work and then and then we pay off our mortgage after 30 years and and then we get 5 years before we're like stuck in hospice and on our deathbed because we've been eating junk food our entire lives like you're you you've got a a bigger purpose here like you you weren't put on this earth to be this debt slave and to support this system that isn't fulfilling your true potential and that it's it's making you miserable you know and just just hearing it straight from these people that are so deeply connected with the land and like what they're doing and how fulfilling their lives are and how void their lives are of all these other like distractions and bullshit that like just make you not feel good, you know? So just getting that exposure to those guys was huge. And it, and it just goes into like this kind of like lifestyle and, and these, these like, these pillars of sovereignty so you know you you've got your financial sovereignty with the bitcoin you've got your food sovereignty with programs like the beef initiative and just being able to like get in touch with people who are stewards to the land and producing that food themselves being able to like reach out to them and shake their hand and meet them face to face it just it gives you this this feeling of like i'm going to be okay Like the world's a crazy fucking place. I think shit's going to hit the fan. Me and my family are going to be okay. You know, I've got this direct access to high quality food. I've got this direct access to raw milk. I've got this direct access to vegetables. You know, whatever it is and whoever you're talking to in your community, like being able to reach out and make those connections and not rely on these conglomerates that, again, don't have your best interest in mind, that work with these alternative peripheral industries like Big Agra and like Monsanto. Like, you know, what happens when they start putting cricket powder in all of your food and you haven't been checking the ingredients and it just dawns on you one day that your new favorite cereal has cricket powder in it (laughs) and you've just been injecting your body with this poison you know and and you've been doing it for years for years they're using the the roundup on all the crops and that's getting into the food and then this food is just i I call grocery stores monsanto distribution centers because you get all this shit food pumped into these grocery stores the big chains and then you go there and buy this food and then you put that food in your body and then you feel like shit because it's low nutrition it's, it's, it's got poison in it. It's harming you. It's slowly killing you. It's making you weak. And then you got to go deal with a miserable fucking job. And then like, and then you don't have time to think about anything else. So you don't even like worry about trying to find other alternatives. And it's just like, dude, it's like, like, start putting like good things in your mind. Stop, stop consuming shit content stop consuming shit food, start thinking about like what you're really doing with your life. And like, are you fulfilling what you want to be doing? Like, what do you, what do you want to do? Like, go figure that out and do it. Like, if you want to be a farmer, like get out there and go farming. You know, we heard from the guys at the meat mafia at the, um, at the, at the Colorado beef initiative, dude. And all three of those dudes had incredible stories. And one of them was, In university, I forget what he was studying. And like he was taking a test and he knew the answer on the test. Like he knew the correct answer on the test, but he knew that wasn't going to get him the credit for that answer. Like he knew, like it was, I forget what the question was, but it was like, like he knew what was actually right. And it's, he knew that he would get the question wrong if he answered it that way. So, and he ended up just like standing up and walking out, quitting the university, quitting his job. Uh, going and volunteering on a farm until he like made enough connections and got enough experience that now he's like doing his own thing and he's uh, he's doing like this raw milk. He wants to start making uh, ice cream from raw sheep's milk because raw uh, sheep's milk in particular is like the highest nutrition, like best flavor, and and so he's got this vision, man, and he's just like he's doing it, and it's just empowering to hear people like. Drop all the bullshit and go do what they were put on this earth to do. Right. And, and, um, yeah. So sorry to go off on a tangent there, but it's just like, I love it. There's a lot that goes into it. And it, it's more than just, you know, Bitcoin and beef. Like that, that's a part of it. But it's, it really just made me realize like how much of a lifestyle it really is. And so that was, you know, it's just moving to be there and, and make those connections with everybody.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I look forward to doing something similar in Georgia. Uh, like I told you, I'm gonna make the Georgia one. Uh, but yeah, Slim's mission is uh is a personal one for me. Um always battled with weight my whole life. I uh, was one of those guys. Um and at about five, six years ago managed to lose three hundred pounds. Uh felt amazing and then literally fell back down just like the diet rabbit hole, the fiat rabbit mm-hmm. hole, like of just like these like programs and things like that. Uh, never re- being able to focus on myself because once I followed one string, it kind of took me somewhere else and somewhere else. And then I had, um, you know, I've been hearing about Slim. I saw him talk at the Bitcoin commons when I was out here in Austin one time, and then I invited him to the podcast. And from there, I was like, oh, this is it. This is, this is the, the, the message. This is what I was waiting for pretty much damn near my whole life. Um, just to kind of speed things up here, got to Austin, uh, bought, uh, one of the freezer builder bundles from KNC. Uh, and you're right. Uh, amazing quality meat, uh, cheaper than, than what I was spending before. So you're right on that. And uh, yeah, man, just trying to now contribute my services so that I could value for value. I want to absorb this information to be able to bring it back to my family, bring it back to my community, um, not just my family here and my kids, but, you know, my family, family, right? Like my mom, my dad, who have been, you know, who have fallen victim to the pharmaceutical industry uh, and, and, you know, the seed oil business and all that stuff um and then also contribute to that cause because you know it's not it is bitcoin related and that is sovereignty but one of the the, my favorite things that's going on in bitcoin right now is that is what slim is doing it's the food um and and yeah man just trying to contribute my services and hearing you and what you were able to get is um exactly what i'm trying to get out of it i want to shake ranchers hands i want to be able to see that life experience and um contribute to it as much as possible. So it actually makes me feel good that you shared that and and went on what you call a little bit of a tangent uh because is exactly what I thought it would be. And now I'm excited even more for it, right? For the Georgia conference and to be able to be, you know, uh helpful to Slim in that. Um one of the big things coming out to Austin to Texas was that as well, which is like we want to be able to get our food locally. Um we were up in the Northeast near Boston and not to say that there wasn't any farmers out there, but it wasn't as mass available as it is down here in Texas. Uh, and being able to learn, learn that, be sovereign, have the wife, you know, start gardening in the background and start to do these things that are sovereign in that journey. And ultimately, um, finally shake off this battle with food that I've had my whole life, right? And with wait my whole life. And uh, I think I'm there. I think I'm getting there. And I think the lessons I'm passing on to my kids so that they will never be where I got is actually rolling along. Uh, and I'm excited about that, so. It's a journey. dude.
1: Yeah. There, one of the guys from the meat mafia podcast, I don't, I don't remember the, the genetic disease that he has or, mm. or like the hereditary disease he has, but he had like this disease and he was like stuck on these medications, like that were just like treating the symptoms, but he still like had the the problems, you know? And like, dude, he went on the carnivore diet and like got like really drilled down into the carnivore diet, and like good quality beef grass fed grass finished beef and and he stuck with that diet dude and it and it it cured his disease, he got off of those medications, uh he just finished running like a hundred k marathon shit and d- dude the dude is like he's stacked and jacked man, like he he's in great shape like. You, you would have never been able to tell that this dude had any sort of health issues a few years ago. And it was like through changing his diet that the dude like completely changed his body and, and whatever was going on with that health issue. And, and that, was, that was another powerful story from the Beef Initiative. But to your point, like, dude, what, whatever you're putting in your mouth to eat is going to, to affect your body you know, and it's going to affect your mind too. And like start putting better quality stuff in your body and you're going to, you're going to see improvements happen.
0: Yeah. I already seen some. I agree with you on there. Uh, Good sir. Did we miss anything here, man? I could rip with you forever.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dude. I don't know. Um, You know, I guess like, you know, shout out to upstream data. Uh, They, they service it. They service any um, Bitcoin mining operations of any scale. If, if you're looking to spin up multiple megawatts or just looking to mine privately in your own backyard with a black box, they've got solutions that will help you do that, especially if you're trying to take like uh, stranded methane gas that's being wasted on an oil and gas well site. They've got all the technology to convert that gas into Bitcoin. Uh, shout out to Bitcoin Magazine. I contribute with them. So check out their website and the content that they're pumping out and the Bitcoin 2023 conference and shout out to the Brains blog. I contribute to their blog. I write articles for them. And, uh, you know, so they they own Slush Pool, which they're renaming to Brains Pool. And, nice. and they've got that that uh, dashboard that I mentioned earlier, insights.brains.com uh they're you know pushing stratum v2 development they got a lot of awesome tools going on for miners like the farm proxy software and um yeah man check them out if if you want to get into mining and check out econoalchemist.com for sure check out my blog
0: (laughs) yeah shout out to those companies by the way but not only uh helping elevate your work which should have been elevated anyways but not getting in the way of it too. That's big kudos to them, because uh, since, from what I was highlighting earlier, your earlier articles, like your cold card article and stuff, your stuff hasn't changed one bit. It's actually gotten better. So like, I, I, I'm very, I'm very excited about that. That, and I don't feel ashamed of bringing those companies up because, genuinely, I don't think they've done anything to water you down. If anything, they've just enhanced you, uh, which is fantastic. And we we need more of that. So. But yeah, man, where where can they find your work, Econo? Um, you know, besides those companies, I, I'm more focused on getting listeners to get info from you. So, what where, where could they yeah, find you? Followed you wherever you want to send them.
1: So I've got I got I'm kind of all over the place right now. So I've got my my blog is at EconoAlchemist.com, and then I've got some like other stuff on GitHub. So if you go to uh, EconoAlchemist.github.io. I've also got like a whole other set of articles and step by step guides I put together on there. I'm trying to get everything transferred to one place. It's just taking me a while. Uh, and then you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at EconoAlchemist. And um, also, I have a podcast called The Hashcast. And it's just a, it's all about Bitcoin mining news, developments, um, home miner setups privacy implications and like the state of the network and i do that at every difficulty epoch so every 2016 blocks i put out a new episode and that will show up on bitcoin tv so check out bitcointv.com to just to, to find the hashcast too
0: Hell yeah man yeah listeners go check out all that signal um nothing but signal there uh similar to this whole conversation we've been having that's where you can get all this information deeper I don't know why I say Kono instead of Econo, but you guys get it. It's the same thing. <laughs> tomato, cool. tomato.
1: I've been yeah. called worse.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think we all have. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, but I appreciate your time, good sir. Uh, for the listeners, you know where to find this podcast in 2.0. If you got any value from this conversation, we're going to get econo uh 5% split here on this episode. So make sure you support and get some value back if you found any value there. For this 4K content, we could definitely go to Bitcoin TV. That's where you can get an archive of all this you know, fantastic content that I work very hard to produce here and get over to y'all. And if you guys are not on the Bitcoin standard of media and you're still on the legacy outlets, the Spotify's of the world and all that, not really quite sure what you guys are waiting for, but you can rate, share, and subscribe on those platforms before I take them off those platforms (laughs) Uh, and allow you guys to be able to get us to float to the top on these crappy algorithms and be able to get some signal here to some other people that may not know yet. So that wraps up episode 78. I appreciate you guys as always. I appreciate you, Econo. And I'll catch you guys next week. Later.